but as we started the singing this morning, you're the cornerstone, Lord Jesus. You are the rock. And you are the one who never moves and never changes, who is always the same from yesterday, today, and forever. And you are the hope, Lord, not only for the nations, but for each of us as people. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you. We do that because you've asked us to. And we ask this moment in this place, this day, that you would allow us to have an encounter with you that changes our lives and draws us more into being the men and the women that you know we need to be for you. We will praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray because you're our hope. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And as you're seated, I'm going to release the children because, believe it or not, we still have people who want to come in here. So, children, I'm going to release you. And then if you have a seat next to you, would you please raise a hand with the fingers showing how many seats there are next to you. So if you have one, you would hold one finger. And if you had two, you would hold two fingers. And there we go. All right. Amen. We're certainly glad that you're all here today, and there's some things in the worship folder I'd love to go over with you, some special things coming up, but we understand there's a lot of things happening, and you can't be a part of all of them, but we'd ask that you use the uh, bulletin as a prayer time for yourself, this worship folder, actually we call it, and that you'd be able to... uh, to use this and pray over the different things that are happening. But Awana is coming up, and I want to remind you to please, as much as possible, get yourself registered beforehand. You'll be glad you did. You're actually able to pay online as well, and that will make that first Wednesday much, much more agreeable for you. So Awana is signing in. The yellow insert talks about our ABFs launching for the fall. ABF stands for Adult Bible Fellowship, and those are opportunities for you to to develop community with a smaller group here at Calvary, so we'd encourage you to come and be a part of one of these. We actually have the connected ones is moving to 1030, so if you find that this service is a little too crowded for you, I'd love to encourage you to come at 9 o'clock service, which is every bit as special as this service is, and then at 1030, right in the music room over there, we'll have... um, uh, ABF where you can go and experience some some teaching and Merrill's really excited about that because for the next few weeks we're going to be looking at how can we share our faith this unbelievable truth that we have been bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ and how can we share that with the world because Jesus is the hope of the nations amen so uh, I encourage you to come and be a part of that The lavender insert, of course, tells us what's going on in women's ministries. And so if you're a regular here, you recognize that when that lavender sheet comes, it shows what's coming up for you ladies for the fall. So that's in there. Remember that Forever Fit is right around the corner. And next Sunday night, uh, Tess will be doing a report and sharing 11 months in an hour and a half. So if you'd like to come and see how that's done, uh, we'd love to invite you to be there. And she's got, uh, she's working on putting together slides and everything else. So she'll be giving a report on that world race that she was on next Sunday night. Uh, You may have heard that Garth and Rachel got their visas. Amen. Amen. So we hate to see Rachel go. Um, (laughs) Hey, Garth, I love you, buddy. All right. (laughs) Well, no, we know that there's a school over there that's waiting to open for Garth and Rachel to get there. So 
And then Pete and Janine are here, and they've asked to be able to just worship with us today. But you'll want to be praying for them. They're missionaries of ours that are in Turkey. So, also, one of the things that didn't make it into the worship center or into the worship folder is the Peterson Seventh Annual Lemonade Stand. And you're like, well, why would that get in the worship folder anyway? Well, this is a very special uh, lemonade stand. And every year, the Peterson family goes all out and does an amazing job. And their sole purpose in doing this is to raise resources to send to Children's World Impact to feed kids in Haiti and as well help with the scholarship program over at Faith Christian School. So they're on Pheasant Ridge over in Fontana. And they'll be going from 12 to 2. But hey, if you're out at 10 tonight, stop by. It'll be okay. <laughs> And so you'll be, they'll be glad you did. But the funds that you give are tripled and turned into um, resources that go around the world. So I'd encourage you to stop by there if you could. As the ushers come forward, a special time in our service, we specifically put this in worship service because we look at offering as a part of worship. And every week you know that I give you a verse. And this week the verse comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 11. And it says now... He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. A couple of my friends and I are reading through this book called The Treasure Principle, and it's been such an impactful thing in our lives that we've ordered some in. They're available at the Welcome Center. We have a few. We'll have more in the weeks to come. But I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. You'll be glad you did. If I could just read an excerpt as it relates to this verse. God has given you incredible material blessings. Have you ever asked yourself, why has God provided so much? You, you don't need to wonder. Paul tells us exactly why he provides more than what we need. You will be made rich in every way so that. So that what? How will he finish this sentence? Prosperity theology would say, so that you might live in wealth, showing the world how God blesses those who love him. But that isn't how Paul finishes it. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You see, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Isn't that a good word? God, we thank you for that. We thank you that as your stewards, you trust us with your resources. And you entrust us with those, Lord, not so that we can raise our standard of living, but so that we can give more. Oh, Lord, and, and for some of us, you bless us with incredible material resources, and for others, it's our time, and for others, it's our, our prayers, and for others, it's just our, all different aspects of who we are. But Lord, you've given to each one of us so that we can give back to you. Now, I'm thankful, Lord, that we have this time in our service where we can do that. Nobody knows who's given. You're the only one who watches. But Lord, it's an opportunity for each one of us to have a touch of you. So I pray, Lord, as this offering is taken, that you would find that we are generous with what we've been given. God, I pray that uh, each person who gives, whatever they have, would be blessed. And I pray as you watch the hearts of those who give that you'd be blessed as well. Thanks for your word that helps us understand this. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. As the offering's being taken... 
I'd like to share something personal with you. Some of you may have gotten a letter this week from me, and if you haven't, there's copies of it out at the Welcome Center. Um, Last week, Pastor Doug, in his message, encouraged us to be reminded of the fact that, that we have anchor that we can hold on to. Because there might be storms that come in our lives. And as a matter of fact, he, he stood and he said, some of you will experience a storm this week. And I thought he was talking about one of you. <laughs> but he wasn't. God had determined that Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock I'd get a phone call that would tell me that the pain that I've been experiencing in my abdomen and the tests that I've been going through reveal that I have lymphoma, cancer of the lymph nodes. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a little bit different than what I thought I'd be hearing that morning. And then I read in James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I read that a little differently on Wednesday than I've read it in the past. not lacking anything. You know, I am so grateful for who I am. I am so grateful for who God has made me to be. But he's not done yet. I'm still lacking in some areas. Don't ask Karen. She's got them listed. No, not really. (laughs) But God does. And he's promised to complete the work that he started in me. And part of that happens through trials, through persecutions, So this is good. Now, does that make sense for me to say I can consider this joy? It does. Because do you know that I believe what I tell you? I believe what this book says. I believe what Pastor Doug teaches us. And I believe that when I was able to walk into his office that day, right after I heard and and talked to Karen, and we sat and prayed, I I actually believe that God listens to our prayers. I have given myself clear away. I live my life as much as possible to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why I exist. It's why I breathe. It's why he saved me. He didn't save me so I could be self-satisfied. He saved me so I could bring honor and glory to him. It's taken me a long time to get to this place, and I'm not quite there. I have a prayer that I pray almost every day. It was written by Jonathan Edwards in his his journal when he was 19 years old, 1723. I have been before God. I've given myself and all that I am and all that I have to God so that I am not in any respect my own. I can claim no right in myself, no right in this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me, neither do I have right to, in, to this body or any of its members, no right to this tongue, these hands, these feet, no right to these senses, these eyes, these ears, this smell, this taste. I have given myself clear away. Have you done that? You see, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. We'll remember that later. See, he's purchased me, and I've given myself away. I'm his. This I have done. And I pray God for the sake of Christ to look upon it as a self-dedication and to receive me now as entirely his own 
and to deal with me in all respects as such, whether he afflicts me or whether he prospers me or whatever he pleases to do with me, who am his. I love that. So, God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereign love and sovereign care, has allowed or decreed that cancer should come into my body. Amen. God's smarter than I am. If he says this is what needs to happen, I'm good with that. Now I know, and I'm confident that I'm not the first person to get word that I have cancer. Each one of you have, have experienced that or maybe someone else. Maybe it's a different storm for you. Maybe something else happened in your life this week. How are you viewing that? How do you see that in your life? Because you see, nothing has come into your life that has not passed through the hands of a loving, sovereign God who's working out his plan fully in your life. So, Tuesday, I go to the doctor and they tell me what they think. But I know what God thinks and that's my anchor. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some trust in doctors. I trust in the Lord my God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Lord, I thank you. I praise you, God. I consider it joy. No, that doesn't mean Karen and I don't cry. It doesn't mean we don't have moments where we wonder what's going to happen and what's this going to look like. And, and, Lord, you know, one minute I think everything will be fine, and the next minute I think I'll be gone in two days. And... Lord, that's normal, isn't it? We live in a a sin-filled world that brings all sorts of tests and trials to us. I trust you, God. I don't pretend I trust you. I trust you. God, you are enough for me. And I know that because you're enough for me, you're enough for every other single person in this room. I pray, God, that you'll use this in my life to bring you immense honor and glory. I'm yours. You know that, Lord. You know how I long to reveal you in every aspect of my life. God, I wish I could grab every single person in this room and let them know how amazing you are. If there's any way that anyone in this room doesn't understand it, today, Lord, will you touch their lives? Help them to know that they do not have to go through what they're going through alone. I love you, Lord. It's my pleasure to serve you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Lord Jesus, I stand alongside of my friend and my brother, our pastor. I thank you, God, for the privilege that you are giving to us as a church family now to walk this journey. It could be that you're here today and you feel as though the load that you are facing is also very significant, my friend. We want you to know that God understands all that's going on in the lives of every person listening to our voices. 
We want you to know that God loves you beyond anything you could ever comprehend. And that God's power is more than enough. So right where you're sitting, why don't you invite him to speak powerfully into your heart in these next moments? Why don't you invite him to step into the situation, whatever it is in your life or your family, whatever that storm is. And collectively, oh God, we entrust our friend, Pastor Chuck, to you, believing that we're going to watch something significant happen in the months to come and that you're going to draw us together closely as a church family as we walk this journey with him and with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, my brother. We're in for quite a journey, aren't we, friends? Today is day 99 of our summer together. Probably like Pastor Chuck, you have experienced something this summer that you didn't expect. The graphic that you've seen many times on the screen, the picture that we chose to depict our summer journey... Psalm, uh, pardon me, Journey 33, based on Psalm 33, there it is. You see what I wrote on the front of your worship folder about the footprints? Our footsteps, which have traced our path for the journey of 33, the 100 days of summer 2013, bring us now to the threshold of fall. The anchors of Hebrews that we looked at last weekend together are available to hold us firm through change and storm. As you look ahead, what do you see in the rest of your 2013 and into 2014? Ready or not, September and beyond is here. Are you ready? If you've been reading with us two chapters of God's Word a day, you've just finished reading in the book of James, that little letter in the New Testament. Could I invite you to turn there with me, please? And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, there should be one under the chair there in front of you. And I think you'll find the book of James, chapter 1, on about page 864 or so. We began our summer journey looking at Psalm 33. And I don't know if James had recently read that psalm when he picked up the quill to write James. But this week, as I have been comparing the two of them, I see many links, and I'd like to share just a few with you this morning. You may remember that we found four words, and you've seen them on the screen several times, that seem to focus our attention in Psalm 33 that I would bring to you now as we come to the end of the psalm. The first word was celebration. The the beginning of Psalm 33 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. That means you people who have experienced him. And James begins his letter in verse 2 of chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Celebration. What have you celebrated this summer? And do you see the question that's in your notes there? What do I celebrate? James is saying, believe it or not, if you have an authentic relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you can actually celebrate bad news. You can actually rejoice 
when the doctor on the other end of the telephone uses that dreaded word cancer. Why? Because your situation, your need, positions you to receive an unleashing of the power of God into your situation. Amen? My guess is Pastor Chuck is going to have stories to tell in these next months. Would you agree with that? And all through this room, I want to see you raise your hands. If you have experienced this, where you've received bad news, you have found yourself in a desperate situation, but you experience the unleashing of God's power into your situation, let me see your hand. Now look around. Look at that. Amazing. That's exactly what James is saying. He's saying to you and me, I understand how enjoyable it would be to live a painless life. But it is much greater to experience an unleashing of the power of God into your place of need. The second word that we looked at in Psalm 33, verse 4 to 11, is the word orientation. It doesn't mean what freshmen are going through at college right now, or if you've accepted a new job, what you spend the first few days doing. Orientation is a word that is kind of asking the question, where am I going in life? Where have I been? Where am I going? What's my orientation? What is the compass that I'm holding in my hand that is directing my life telling me? In Psalm 33, the word of the Lord is right and true. You may remember that when we worked through that word, I gave you four other words, the word foundation. What is the foundation of your life upon which you're building your life? Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe. That's what Pastor Chuck was saying a moment ago and what Pastor Mark said before that. And not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Foundation. What is stable, unwavering that you're building your life on? James says, how about the wisdom of God? And when you need it, ask. The second word I gave you that week, you may remember, was guardrails. As you're living your life, what are the guardrails that are holding you on track with God? Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. There's a good guardrail. And slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, here's another guardrail, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So in this summer, my friends, honestly now, what have become the guardrails in your life that keep you on track and keep you from drifting? The third word that I gave you that week, you may remember, was fuel. What fuels your life when you find yourself discouraged or at a dead end, it feels like, in, in life? Look how that verse continues. And humbly, the end of verse 21, accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word. The word of God, of course, is what James is talking about. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is saying the word of God is a great fuel to keep you going in the right direction. Do you agree with that, friends? And I asked you about a fourth word when we started our journey this summer. What is your destination? Maybe you're looking at your notes and saying, Pastor Doug, I don't see those words there. Amen. That's why there's a pencil in your pocket, right? Jot them down. There wasn't enough room for me to put all this in your notes. 
What is your destination? There you see, right after the question, where am I going, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Do you see that in your notes? The purposes of his heart through all generation. Have you found this summer the opportunity to ask God, where do I fit God in your plans for this world at this time in history? God, I want that to be my objective in life, my purpose. I want to live a life so when I come to the end of my life at the destination, I'm able to see, I understand now what life, my life was all about in God's larger purposes. A third word that we looked at was the word reflection, you remember? And it asks the question, who am I becoming? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance, it says in Psalm 33, 12. And I found three powerful statements in James. Do you see them there in your notes? Second chapter. It says there, verse 23 to 26, A person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And I've written in my notes next to that two words, attitudes and actions. What do my attitudes and my actions tell me and you about who I am becoming as a person? Am I becoming an angry person? A bitter person, a resentful person, a sarcastic person? Or am I becoming more and more a loving person, a helpful person, a serving person, a God-honoring person? And then James says in James chapter 3, the tongue is a fire. No man can tame the tongue. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, and that should not be. So I've jotted down in my notes, my words and my thoughts reflect to me and the people around me who I am becoming. Is your vocabulary changing? Are the thoughts that are coming into your mind and being expressed out of your mouth, are they reflecting the change that God's doing in you? Are you becoming a different person, my friends? And then James writes, verse 3, chapter 16, wherever you find envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Who am I becoming? What are my passions and my pursuits in life? And what does that tell you and me about who I'm becoming? My attitudes, my actions, my words, my thoughts, my passions, my pursuits. What about you? What do those things tell you about who you are becoming in life? And then the fourth word that we looked at that we found in Psalm 33 was the word expectations. We wait in hope for the Lord, for He is our help and our shield. you got to know we're holding on to that with Pastor Chuck. Do you agree with that? That's a forward-looking. What do I anticipate is out there? So the question was, what am I anticipating in my life? As we get ready to step into the fall, what are you anticipating? I see that James says in James chapter 4, verse 1, So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? So as you look out into the future, are you still going to find yourselves in those disagreements, those fights, those quarrels? And if so, what is God showing you about you? I believe he is saying to you and to me, understand that the battle will continue to rage for the rest of your life. Right here, the battle for your heart. What causes quarrels and fights? There is a dark kingdom that wants you to be selfish, demanding your own way, 
no matter what it does to other people. But the Holy Spirit of God is doing his very best to draw you into being a loving, serving, compassionate, patient person. Do you see the battle that rages for your heart? Or at the top of your notes there on the second side, do you see where it says in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That's a battle for your mind. A battle for your mind. The dark kingdom is going to keep battling to draw you away from God and the things of God. And the Holy Spirit is going to battle to draw you to God and the things of God. And to whom will you submit? James 4.13 says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. There's a battle for your legacy. I can assure you that in a room with this many people sitting among us are some people that every time they think of their childhood, of the family that they grew up in, they cringe. The memories are painful. They do almost anything to be able to change their last name because of when that name is spoken, what it reminds them and other people of, the legacy that they were born into and they inherited, they deeply regret. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus Christ can change that. He can heal the pain and the brokenness, and he can help you to change that legacy so that what you pass to your children and your grandchildren, they will praise God for. Do you agree with that? But it causes us to ask us hard questions, my friends. That's part of why you've invited Pastor Chuck and me to this platform, to ask us hard questions. There's a battle for your legacy. Could it be that sitting in this room there were children a few minutes ago who are finding themselves in the same place? They grieve the pain of their home, the screaming and the hollering and the pots and pans throwing, the hitting and the slapping. They look forward to any opportunity to spend the night in somebody else's home. Is it possible that there's some children in this place? There's a battle for your legacy. Please understand it. The dark kingdom would love to wound your children and your grandchildren through you. Do you see that? Lastly, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, James wrote. There's a battle for your choices. A hundred times a day, you and I make choices. And you've got to know that every single one of them is in the midst of a battle. The dark kingdom would like you to make choices that you will regret. Choices that will wound you and your family. The Lord Jesus Christ would love to lead you to make choices that you and everyone who knows you will be grateful for. Do you agree with that? Expectations looking forward. What am I anticipating? Anticipate that the battle will continue to rage. But we're doing our very best to give you the resources to win the battle with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so in James chapter 5, verse 16, again, a little verse tucked in there, kind of like the one I showed you last week. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you believe that? You've noticed, I'm sure, that we pray many times in every one of our worship services here. It's not because we, we can't think of another song to sing or can't think of a few more things to say in the message and we need to fill time. Oh, no, no. It's a sacred moment where we were all invited to step into the throne room of God. God, God made you with breath in your lungs, a voice box in your throat. 
a mind to think, a heart to feel, so that you can express to him. Do you know he loves to hear your voice? If you're a parent or a grandparent in this room, you understand that. You love to hear the voices of your children and grandchildren, don't you? You may know that my daughter and April are on the other side of the world. They arrived in Turkey this morning where they're spending four days asking God, is this the place where you want us? So the four grandchildren are kind of farmed out all over the place, and we have the littlest one. She's at that stage. Maybe you remember when your little ones were there. When she gets excited, she just shivers all over the place. Her little arms start flapping like wings. She sometimes just grits her teeth. I think she's going to bite the nook right off, you know, that little nooky thing. My, my wife tells me that she's staying with us. Uh, Dawn tells me that <clears throat> when I come home at the end of the day uh, and, and I, hello, anyone home? She just starts. <laughs> Dawn used to do that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> Would you get into your mind the possibility that God, in a sense, is so excited to hear your voice? Prayer of a believing person is received by a God who loves you and wants to go to work involving you in what he's doing around the world. So what do you think it looks like in the throne room of God? Would you like to get a glimpse? Turn over a few pages to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. If you're reading the 100 days with us, those are the last two chapters that you're going to read, and that's going to be tomorrow on Labor Day. John, you know, receives this revelation. He's an old man by this time, the last of the apostles to be alive. He's been exiled on the little rocky knoll called the island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey. When you come to chapter 4, he says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open into heaven. <clears throat> and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come on up here. And I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the Spirit. He's moved by the Holy Spirit. He's praying. He's worshiping. And God is filling his mind and his spirit with this vision. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. But, but he can't quite make out the silhouette of the person. He's so overwhelmed that the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. The one on the throne, of course, is God himself, and could it be that the rainbow is a representation of one of the most powerful unleashings of the power of God that this world has ever known, the great flood? And it's a reminder there to God that he promised he would never do it again. And as evil as our world continues to get, it's a reminder to him of his mercy and his love for our world. But it's a reminder to us of God's unlimited power. From the throne, uh, pardon me, surrounding, verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Who could they be? Most Bible scholars believe that they represent the, the, from all time and eternity the people of God. Twelve of them representing the twelve tribes of Israel of the Old Testament, the Jewish people. Twelve of them representing the apostles and the church of the New Testament globally. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Does that kind of remind you of when Moses came to the mountain of God with the people? And the mountain shook and God spoke to them. 
In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and this is the sevenfold Spirit of God. It's a representation of the Holy Spirit of God. You remember when the Holy Spirit came as in tongues of fire upon those who waited upon him in the upper room? And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second like an ox, and the third had a face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four creatures had six wings. Does that remind you of the seraphim that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he looked into the throne room of God? It was covered with eyes all around under its wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Who are the creatures? It would appear that they are angelic beings of a very high rank, taking on perhaps the appearance of some of the great creatures that God has made. Do you see that the throne room of heaven, at least in this glimpse, is a representation of the magnificence of God and his creative genius, all of which he has made for the purpose of worshiping him and acknowledging him. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, a reminder of the eternalness of God, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, your choice, they were created and they have their being. Do you see that Revelation chapter 4 is a profound worship of God because he is the source of all things. He is the creator. He preceded all things. He's eternal. And so all that he has created, including us, are invited to worship him in his creative magnificence. But then the scene changes. Revelation 5, 1. Then, John writes, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. In the days of John, of course, important documents were written on a scroll. History was recorded on a scroll. The one who sits on the throne, God the Father, is holding the scroll of the future. If John was getting this vision today, maybe he'd be holding an iPad or an iPhone or something like that, and there'd be passwords that you had to use to get in. But here it's sealed and as I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent throughout the whole earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who's the lamb? The risen Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember? When, John, when Jesus was stepping down into the river to be baptized and John was there about to baptize him, what did John say? Look, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was crucified, as you know, at Passover time, becoming Passover Lamb. 
Not just for the Jewish people, but for all of us. So Jesus now stands. Do you see the presence of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in the throne room of God? And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, verse 8, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are, what does it say? The prayers of the saints, or God's people. Hold on to that. Well, when you pray, your prayers are remembered in heaven. When you pray, you are stepping into the throne room of God where worship is taking place and you're joining with it. And your prayers are important. And God himself, who created it all, who holds it all together, who understands everything going on in the life of every person, receives your personal, private, unique prayer. It's not lost in the crowd. And he engages with you. And they began to sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Does that remind you of 1 Peter chapter 2? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and they will reign on the earth. And then John says, I, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures shouted, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. My goodness! You're never again going to say, Thank you, God, for the cornflakes. Got a rush. Bye. <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I praise the Lord. It doesn't kind of fit, does it? You and I are invited into the throne room of God because of what this table represents. Right? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, in what he accomplished for you and for me as he went to the cross and came out of that tomb victorious, invites you into the throne room. And it'll never happen that you'll be stopped at the door and say, wait a minute, I don't see that you're on the schedule. You're, you have your minute with God two weeks from now. You're going to have to wait. Never happen. Wait a minute, what, what, where's your passport? Never happen. As you approach the throne room of God, welcome, Dick. I love you. I purchased you as my son. You're welcome. I've invited Pastor Chuck to come and lead us to the table of communion. Pastor. God, I praise you for the truth that we just heard. 
I thank you for your word, Lord, the truth of your word and how it permeates our heart. Father, I think it's appropriate that I take a moment and thank you for our pastor, for the way that you illuminate God's word to him and how he is able to illuminate that to us. Lord, the encouragement that the truths that he not only teaches but he lives allow us to live our lives differently. I thank you for that, Lord. Early this spring, you laid on his heart Psalm 33, celebration, orientation, reflection, and expectation. God, I'm one who thanks you that you laid that on his heart so that I could know it before I needed to know it. Thank you, God, for him, for your word, for this church, for the truth that we stand on. As we come to your table, Lord, we do this expectantly. And in your name, amen. Think of the throne room and the passage that Pastor Doug just opened up for us. You are worthy to take the scroll because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. That's what this is. This is communion. It's a remembrance. But it's a, a remembrance with expectation. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told his disciples on the night of the Last Supper, I have eagerly des desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. See, this is a remembrance, but it's also a looking forward. We're not designed for this world. You get that, right? These are tents. <laughs> These are temporary dwellings for an eternal spirit. That eternal spirit will one day be in this throne room. And we will be worshiping God because of the fact that we have been redeemed. We have been purchased. Purchased back from Satan to whom we sold ourselves when we sinned. And Jesus made that possible. He paid the price so that we could be redeemed. Have you been redeemed? Have you truly come to a moment in time where you have come to understand that your sin has actually sold yourself to the devil? And you need to be bought back from him. And that's what this represents. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you given him control of your life as your Lord? So, communion. A time for us to remember that. You don't need to be a member here at Calvary to do this, but you do need to be redeemed. You can be if you haven't been. It's just asking and making the great exchange, your selfish, sin-filled life for the spotless life of Christ. It's a good trade. Amen? 
So men, the bread, please.